Hello, I'm Rabbi Mark Gelman, and welcome to The God Squad, a podcast you can believe in. Today we're talking about angels. So here's my favorite angel story. The famous Jewish theologian Abraham Joshua Heschel tells that when he was in the synagogue as a young boy listening to the biblical story of the binding of Isaac by his father Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, um, who had been commanded to sacrifice Isaac as a sign of faith at the, you know, at the last possible moment before the sacrifice. I don't, I don't want to wreck the story for you, but an angel from heaven calls out to stop Abraham because he's passed this gruesome and incomprehensible test. So Heschel recalls that he was crying when he heard the story, and his father asked him, why are you crying? And Heschel told him, I'm worried, Papa, that the angel will be too late. His father said, don't worry, my son. Angels are never too late. That is the way with angels. But people, oh, people can sometimes be too late. That is the way with people. All I want you to understand on today's podcast is a simple thing. And it's that thing. Angels are never too late. So look around you. Even in a very secular culture, a whole lot of people believe in angels. Something like 80%, according to some of the surveys. I don't really trust surveys, but I believe a lot of people believe in angels, and I'm one of them. It's about the same percentage, by the way, as people who believe in God, and that makes sense. You know, you've got all sorts of best-selling books about angels. Tony Kushner won a Pulitzer Prize for his play Angels in America, in which an angel visits a man with AIDS. Harvard Divinity School even has a course on angels, which I will admit is one powerful argument against their existence. The reason, I believe, for this enduring interest in angels is that once you believe that God is real, there's really only one important question left. How can God contact us? Now, the traditional answer in sacred scripture in the, the Tanakh, the Bible, and the Jews also in the Talmud, in rabbinic commentaries and sacred texts, there, the, that's one answer, that God communicates with us through inherited texts. And that's, that's okay, that's good, that's central, that's moving, beautiful. But the, the texts are not personal messages. Maybe one day when we get to a study of Psalms, you see, that's the one exception, where there are real personal messages embedded in the Bible. But in general, sacred scriptures are collective narratives, commandments, stories. But others, I feel this, and I think many of you do as well. We seek a personal revelation from God. And that's where angels come in. Angels are our link to a God who cares about our own spiritual journey. They're evidence that we're just not alone. 
God needs a way to speak to us, to chastise us, to direct us, to encourage us, and to protect us. God has given each of us unique gifts, and and God needs from time to time to show us how to use those gifts to help the world. One of the ways God does this is by sending angels into our lives. That's what I believe. That is what Judaism, Christianity, Islam all believe. If God is real, angels must be real. Angels are personal, divine messengers in a world that refuses to worship only a transcendent, impersonal God. The reason angels are necessary is that God can't speak to us directly without frying our toasters. (laughs) That's how I think of it. Think of talking, if you could, talk to God directly, like plugging in your toaster directly to a high-tension electrical wire. It would just fry the toaster. So in order that it not get fried, your toaster requires that high-voltage electricity be transformed and, and weakened so that it can be used. Same is true for God's voice. It needs to be transformed through intermediaries into a form that we humans can comprehend without getting freaked out and spiritually fried by God's overwhelming power. The poet Rilke wrote about talking to one of the archangels, Michael, played by John Travolta in the movie, who was already... Michael, the archangel, along with Gabriel and Uriel and Raphael, talk about them in a moment, they're they're like one step down from God. And this is what Rilke wrote about if you could talk to an archangel, what that would be like. So Rilke wrote, if the archangel now, perilous from behind the stars, took even one step down toward us, our own heart beating higher and higher, would beat us to death. That's what it means to fry your toaster. That's what all religions believe. All religions are quests to find intermediaries between God and us. Christianity, of course, Jesus is the intermediary and actually, sort of, actually God incarnate in Christian belief. But all religions are quests to protect our toasters. (laughs) And that's what angels do. Now let me clear up two popular misconceptions about angels. Angels are not good dead guys. (laughs) And angels don't have wings. Clarence Oddbody, George Bailey's guardian angel, played by Henry Travers in Frank Capra's 1946 film It's a Wonderful Life, set back angelology a hundred years. Clarence was a good dead guy trying to get his wings and waiting for a, a bell to punch his angel ticket. This is the highest level of Hollywood angelology, and I'm not signing up for it. You know, we should be able to figure the wing thing out on our own just by thinking about the story of Joseph's of Jacob's dream at Bethel, where he dreams of a, of a ladder uh, reaching up to heaven with angels ascending and descending on the ladder. Well, in Jacob's dream, why, why, why did they need the ladder? Why did the angels need the ladder if they had wings? 
Winged angels are a later Christian belief, but there's not one single belief in the major faiths that good dead people become angels. Saints, yeah. Tzaddikim in Judaism, yes, but righteous ones. But ironically, living people can be angels. That's the secret. That's the big message today. Living people can be angels, but not dead people. Dead people's souls go to heaven and listen to God give sermons all day long. Wait a minute, that might be hell. I forget. Anyway, angels are spiritual beings who were never people. That's the key point. They are different than us. They have no animal essence and hence no animal needs and passions. They are purely spiritual beings, so they do not eat or sweat or fall in love. Some angels never contact us, while others are with us every moment of every day of our lives. There's a Jewish belief that we learn that, that we acquire at birth two angels who stay with us every day of our lives until we die. One on our right shoulder, praising our good deeds, and one on our left shoulder, calling out all of our sins. They also help our prayers to reach God after we die. They usher our soul into the world to come, into heaven, after a period of debriefing in what I personally call soul school. Uh, Albert Brooks, in his movie Defending Your Life, has uh, got it pretty right. There's a kind of a, a school that your soul goes to after you die. It's the Jewish belief. Christians have a similar sort of belief in purgatory, but it's a little different. But anyway, your soul, after you die, goes to a place where the angels talk to your soul. And they have one basic question. Why were you afraid of certain things? when you had no reason to be afraid of them? And why were you so victorious in other things? There are spiritual beings with wings, like the cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant that Steven Spielberg, I guess, has in his beach house. But they were not angels. The basic belief here is that between God and us, there are a series of spiritual beings and demons, we'll talk about them in a while, and all these beings help God contact the world without frying our toasters. So in the spiritual hierarchy of creation, there are rocks, and then plants, and then above plants there's animals, and then there's human beings, and then there's angels, and then there's God. There's also divisions among angels. Some angels are bad angels, like Satan. They are the fallen angels resulting from a great war in heaven, won by the archangel Michael over the rebel angels who could not accept God's decision to create people. A midrash about that is recorded in Genesis Rabbah 8.5. Some scholars argue that angels, particularly the early Torah angels, are not really beings at all, but just avatars of God, just sort of spiritual holograms, just projections 
of a, a non-toaster-frying form of God that can be apprehended by people, but who are basically interchangeable with God. Sort of, I think, close to the Christian idea of Jesus. We see this, for example, in Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush. An angel speaks to Moses out of the bush, and then suddenly it's God speaking to Moses. What happened to the angel? Same theological bait and switch occurs with Abraham preparing to sacrifice Isaac. First it's an angel that stays his hand, and then it's God taking up the conversation. This, is, this idea is echoed later in Judaism in the teaching in the Midrash, whenever an angel appears, God appears. Angels of the form God takes on earth. Now, the first named angelic creations with unique personalities and purposes were the archangels, described in the apocryphal book of four Enoch. Michael is the kindness angel. He's mentioned three times in the book of Daniel. Daniel 10, 13 to 21. Daniel 12, 1. In the New Testament's book of Revelation, 12, 7 to 9, and also in the epistle of Jude, Michael defeats Satan in a war in heaven. Michael's also one of the two archangels mentioned in the Quran alongside Jibril, in English Gabriel, who revealed the Quran to Muhammad. Peace be upon him. In the Quran, Michael is mentioned once only in Surah 298. Whoever is an enemy to God and his angels and messengers and Jabril and Michael, then God himself is an enemy to the disbelievers. Some Muslims believe that Michael was one of the three angels who visited Abraham. Gabriel is the other is the bringer of stern and terrifying judgment. According to the Talmud and Shabbat 55a, he marks the righteous with the letter Taf on their forehead. He also the revealer and explainer angel in the book of Daniel, where he's called the man Gabriel and not the angel Gabriel, he explains Daniel's visions to him in chapter 8. In the New Testament Gospel of Luke, Daniel foretells the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus. Raphael, the next archangel, is the healing angel. Now, Raphael's not named in any canonical works but does appear in the apocryphal book of Enoch where he is credited with binding the demon Azazel. Uriel is the angel of light. He's the fourth named archangel. Uriel is the angel of wisdom. At the Council of Rome of 745, many angels' names were stricken from the list of those eligible for veneration in the Church of Rome only the reverence of the archangels mentioned in the recognized Catholic canon of scriptures, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael remain licit. The rest were newbies, so you can't worship, recognize them. Finally, there are angels, and these are the most interesting to me, and I hope to you, because the archangels are out of our league. But there are angels who are people. They're just people. But they aren't just people because they are each bearing a message from God and they're unaware 
that they are doing it. These are extremely interesting angels to me. They're just people, but to quote the Blues Brothers, they are on a mission from God. Some of them may know of their mission, and they may know it's from God, but mostly they're completely unaware. In the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, we see several examples of human angels. The angel who wrestles with Jacob. It says in the Bible that a man wrestled with Jacob, but obviously it probably was an angel. And the angels who visit Abraham to tell him that Sarah's going to give birth. They're also described as men, but they're also angels. In the New Testament in Hebrews uh, 13.2, this Jewish truth is, is echoed. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You realize that? When you ask somebody out for pizza and a beer, you might have been asking out an angel. My favorite biblical story about people who are really angels is the story in Genesis 37:15 of the man who met Joseph in the fields of Shechem and asked him in Hebrew, Matavakesh, what are you looking for? And who then redirects him to Dothan, away from Shechem, where he found his brothers. He's just a man, but he's also clearly bearing a message from God, and so he's also an angel. It's... Very, very powerful stuff. The only thing you need to know about angels is that any time you receive an inspiration or a suggestion or an introduction or an idea or a person who changes your life for the better, that idea, that suggestion, that inspiration, that person could be the bearer of a message from God for you. And look, even if angels aren't real, and even if nothing I've said so far is real at all, and it might not be real, I think it is, but, you know, you're free to decide. But even if it isn't, people can give you ideas, suggestions that change your life. And those ideas, those suggestions, have transcendent value, but you'll miss them unless your ears are open and your eyes are open. I'd like you to think about the angels who've come into your life. I, I want you to call to mind right now, among the thousands of people you have met, those handful of people who clearly and absolutely changed your life for the better. Not just parents and family, but often total strangers whose simple advice or gift or suggestion or admonition or question changed you forever. Perhaps it was the person who first gave you a book about science and sent you off on the road to becoming a scientist. Perhaps the person who told you that you would make a good lawyer or teacher or mother or friend or father or confidant at just the time when you had no intention of becoming anything like that. Perhaps it was the person who told you to watch out at just the time you needed to watch out. Perhaps it was the prayer in a hospital of a stranger who nobody saw on the floor, but who came to your bedside and said everything is going to be all right, and then it was all right, even if the doctors did not understand why or how, 
I've seen that. Hospitals are major magnets for traveling angels. When we are about to lose our way, it seems to me obvious and unarguably true that God will send someone into the fields of our life to ask us, what are you looking for? If there is such a God, and I think there is, I believe there is, then there are angels. And there is a life after death where we will all meet them and where you can slap your spiritual foreheads and wonder and say, it was all true. It was just a podcast from Gilman. But everything he taught us, well, most of it, was true. That is when you will know for sure what you may have some doubts about now, that there are angels sent to us by God along our way in this life so that we will get the message that God would not give each of us special and unique blessings unless God wanted those blessings to be used to heal our broken world. I want you to do something. I want you to write a letter to your angels. I want you to try to find a, a person slash angel who came into your life at just the right time, and I want you to write that person a letter and say in your own words, thank you for appearing in my life and for changing everything for the good, for helping me to find what I did not even know I was missing. And then someday, when I pray you are 120, and God kisses you on the lips and takes your breath away, and your soul begins its glorious eternal life in the world to come in heaven when the angel with the fiery sword guarding the entrance to the Garden of Eden, the portal through which all souls must pass, says to your soul, we've been waiting for you. You can go right in. And when you arrive safely in the place where there are no questions, only answers, no pain, only love, no death, only life, then this is what will happen. I believe all the angels who have appeared in your life will appear before you then. And some of them will be holding the letter I asked you to write to them. And they will embrace you. And you will know why. And they will say, and you will hear, I didn't need the letter, but thank you anyway. Now let me tell you everything. And they will tell you everything as they lead you into the green pastures beside the still waters where all the flocks have come home to rest and where all brothers and sisters and parents and children have found each other at last. They will explain that this is the place where you have been looking for ever since the day you realized that the world is full of angels and that angels are never too late. I'm Rabbi Mark Gilman. Thanks for listening to The God Squad. The God Squad podcast is a production of the Mark Gilman Institute. I know the guy. And this episode was produced by Matthew Siegel at Silicon Bowery. Until next time, you can find us on Google, Apple, Spotify, and many other fine podcast locations. Love to hear from you at Rabbi at GodSquadPodcast.com God bless us. Bye.
one and all.